What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about small games, 18 card games, the kind of games that can fit in a wallet. And I'm talking to a guy that's really blazed the trail for everybody else, Jason Tagmeyer from Button Shy Games. And it's just a really great conversation. We talk about designing, we talk about publishing, marketing, manufacturing, shipping, everything that I could come up with as it relates to small games. At this point, Jason's company has published over 100 wallet-sized games. He's worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, and he just has an incredible community of raving fans, of people that are just excited, sitting on G, waiting on O, ready to buy the next game, ready to back the next Kickstarter campaign. And so I asked him questions about how, how he did it, how he built up that fan base, how he brings in new designers, creates new games, how he assembles the games and ships them all from his place in New Jersey. He's doing a model very different from most publishers. And it was so cool just to get a behind the scenes look at how he's bringing these small games to life. In other news, today's episode is sponsored by GameFound, the go-to platform for tabletop creators and fans. Want to launch a campaign? GameFound has everything you need from marketing services, a dedicated audience, and a built-in pledge manager. With its unique features, GameFound offers the best service for tabletop crowdfunding and can help make your campaign a success. So be sure to check them out at GameFound.com today. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years, and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Jason Tagmeyer. All right, Jason, really excited to chat with you about small games, micro games, wallet size games, designing, publishing, manufacturing, crowdfunding, all that good stuff. But first, really wanted to chat with you about your retail store. You just opened up a space, a place in New Jersey where people can come and play games and buy games and see your massive wall of games. I saw the pictures of like all the button shot games just on the wall and they like rotate through, which is really, really cool. And at this point, you've, you've published like, I don't know. 317 of them so uh you've got lots and lots and lots of options but tell me tell me about that man so as a game designer as a publisher now opening a retail store tell me why why now anything you got okay so a few years ago we moved into a space the next town over uh, i live in the town that our new shop is in so the next town over we opened a space and it had a like a front room that i was that was zoned as retail just this room and i um Got with the township and I said, we're not really going to open for retail, but it would be okay if I do something like once a month. And they're like, that's fine. Um, we did it one month and we were there for three years and we never did anything else because it was just really awkward. The building was set behind the main street and everything. So we were kind of looking to get out of there, kind of outgrowing it from a um, business because we would make all of our games in the back. We would do all our shipping there and our storage and we just were running out of space. So the spot that we're in now used to be a... Uh, game store that I would come to all the time. My son would come to, I live like five blocks away. So I would walk here. My son would walk here. Really good game store. They said they were moving for black Friday last year and the wheels started turning. I was like, I want that space. It's so close to home. It's on the main strip, right in the town that I grew up in the town that I live in the town that I would walk to the shops in. So I was like, I want that space. So as soon as they were out, I started calling people and, and emailing people and trying to figure out how to get in here. Um, it wound up being somebody that I knew who owned it, somebody that I you know went to school with, the whole family. And uh, it all worked out really well. Like It was just like, okay, we can get in here. We can have this huge backspace that's bigger than what we had before for all of our assembly, all of our mailing, uh, our little offices and everything. And then it's got a space just as big that is a retail space that we could figure out what we were doing. So we got in here early February, spent from like February to June, kind of getting the place in shape, figuring out how we were going to do this uh, and just opened in June with 
what I would say is uh, uh, not even a third because there's a big back area, but one third is button shy. So one wall is like you said, the wall of button shy games. It's 20 games that rotates every day, probably about like five to seven rotate in and out every day, a, a different five or seven. Um, it's probably a pool of like 50. Um, we have, uh, some button shy shirts, some button shy exclusive stuff on there and trying to really build that up as like the button shy company store where we'll have some neat exclusive stuff as well as like some harder to find things. And then like our greatest hits, the other wall is just a regular board game wall, regular board games that you would come in and buy. Although I'm really trying to feature small games there. So People that come in by our stuff kind of graduate, gravitate towards like the oink stuff, the tiny, epic, all, all the little stuff that's over there. So while we have bigger stuff, I'm looking to kind of get this cool like mini game library. And then the back, which isn't, is it in a third? It's a third in a business sense, but it's a good four fifths of the store is all of the open gaming space, which is themed as outdoors. So it's like that fake patio grass. Um, fake brick walls it kind of looks like you're in like an alley and then like pergolas with like seating underneath and outdoor seating and a couple like cool calyx shelves of, of our, our library but it feels very outdoorsy we call it the board game backyard um at the button shy company store um and yeah that's it's it opened the end of june and it's we're at a little weird point because we have the hours are like, wow, we're here. So we're here eight to four every day. So the stores open 12 to four during weekdays. Everybody's working at that point. So we're working on getting that extended uh, with some hires and stuff as we kind of use the summer to figure things out. But the events are at night and on weekends. We had like eight in July. We have like eight in August stores open during the events. Events are cool. It's like, I took a very different approach to opening like a shop. Like it's not like a cafe where it's like you come and eat and you come and drink and you come and play whatever's on the shelf. Like our events are like, it's Carcassonne night. So I'll put Carcassonne on every table and it's kind of geared towards people who, you know, it's different game every night set up almost like a, like a, like a music venue where you look at their schedule and you see all the different things they have. And the thought on that is, I'm really good at Carcassonne. I'm going to go win. Or I've never played Carcassonne. I want to go learn. Um, or I've always seen that game, you know, and I, I'm just I'm just curious about it. So trying to kind of make it the answer to like, I don't have a space to play. I don't have a game. I don't have these games. I've never learned them. I, I always see them. Trying to answer those questions as well as the like, oh, I love this game and I never get to play it enough. So we have those, uh, we have playtest nights, which are awesome for button shy stuff, as well as the community. We've had a lot of designers coming out. Those have been kind of the most successful thing we've done are the playtest nights. Um, and then we're starting up some like role playing and some other things, but just really trying to be a little different, which is like everything I do has to be a little different, but a little different from the store that was here, which moved a couple miles down the road and is the best store in the area. So like trying to kind of, make our own little stamp on it and um, really taking that like event hall thing and, and running with it. Yeah. Very cool. And I think even if you only open the store to get more playtesters for your games, it's already a brilliant idea and <laughs> it, probably worth the, the cost of investment. Let me tell you about it. I did not have a good playtest group and we uh, do a lot of our testing for button shy, you know, online through people we know, and we have a lot of volunteers and a lot of helpers, but I don't get that hands on, even with the crew here, like, I don't get that hands on with just the general public's, you know, extreme opinions that, that I need. <laughs> so having them come in the door here has been, it, that was like the first thing we needed. It was like, that was solving a problem that, that we were unable to solve anywhere else. Yeah. That's super smart. And then now you also have a potential pool of people you can recruit to help you at conventions and sure. help you <laughs> become ambassadors. And like, oh, yeah. what a, what a brilliant idea to, to go from that angle, right? Which is something I, I don't think most designers or publishers are really thinking about. Now, I know, I want to say Fantasy Flight had like their, they have a really cool facility and there's some other ones that, that definitely, Games Workshop, obviously, but this is like a really interesting indie publishing kind of angle to, to go at it from. And so, man, I wish you the best. I'm really excited for you. And also you got the location of a game store. So like even people 
maybe they didn't know that store moved and now they're coming to the game store like oh well the the ownership must be different like no no this is a brand new shop but you're already there exactly. that, we have a lot of there. accidental like pokemon purchases that thought that this was the other place but it's been cool because like We've had some like little like pilgrimages here. Like we've had two button shy fans from Canada already come in the door here. We've had um, one of the design one of our designers from San Francisco came the other day. Um, I was at Gen Con and I missed it. Um, we had someone come in the other day that just said she was a huge fan of Board Game Design Lab. <laughs> she she came in and said she saw I think she saw it on the forums or, or something like about our shop and lived the next town over and came over for it. And I was like, oh, that's that's cool. That's really cool. Man, and so she's cool. a, she's a, a budding designer, and I think she's coming to yeah. playtest night tomorrow. Man, that's awesome, and that's that's one of the things that really it just, it warms my heart to to use a, a deep southism of to hear that people are 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 doing that right because I mean the BGDL started years ago with really the goal of like helping more and more people get into this hobby right. I think it's amazing. A lot of people I, I know think it's amazing. Like, okay, how do we get more folks into it? And so that's awesome that now you're able to kind of continue that on in a more hands-on way that I wish I could. Like, maybe that's something I need to think about. Like, how do I start a, a shop? Now I live in a town of like 4,000 people. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But um, we have uh, a couple it, like principles. It's just like we do direct to consumer sales for all of our online sales. We do very little in stores. Um, so it's all about the community. Like it's all about nobody between us and the customer. So everything we experience is online discord, our discord's like huge. And we just talk to everybody and all the customers, but this is our one face-to-face -face interaction that we've never, we've never really had that other than at like the few conventions that we do. This was like, now we can see these people face-to-face -face and, and see what else is out there that we're not seeing online. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, I wish you the best. I really hope it, it just continues to go well and, and you, you make at least enough money to keep everything going. And then that's another thing is like multiple streams of income, <laughs> like yeah, multiple exactly. revenue streams, you know, and so hope it, it all just uh, keeps working out. The cool thing anyway, is our games are outselling the non-button shy games, which I love. Like people coming off the street and be like, what are these? And it's yeah. like, all right, well, I'll show you. <laughs> right. Well, and it's also cool. Like that's one thing I've talked to so many people in business about in business in general is people in overall, they want to buy from someone they know. And so if you're the guy that made the game or published the game, they're like, oh, well, I know you and you're pretty cool. And also your games aren't like prohibitively expensive. You're not selling $150 miniatures games. And so it's cool. Like, because then when they play the game with their friends, they're like, oh yeah, I, I bought this from the designer. I yeah, bought this exactly. from the guy who made this game. Yeah. They, uh, and he literally really put it together in the back. Like, they're like, you made these? <laughs> yeah. That's super smart, dude. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about small games that pack a big punch you know, small package, but yet lots of options and gameplay. And, and man, at this point, how many, first of all, how many button shy games are there? So there's over a hundred wallet games and there's a lot of expansions. So like our board game geek number is like out of control, probably a couple hundred. Uh, but it's, you know, every game has one expansion, two, three, whatever. But there is over a hundred, there are, there's over a hundred wallet games, but I don't have a count. I don't have an official number on them. Our fans have like varying numbers, like They've numbered them and they fight over whose numbering is correct. Like whether it's whether a game is numbered by its Kickstarter date or its launch date. And I don't know. There's over 100. I know that. And we missed the 100 with doing something special because I don't keep track. Because who knew? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, hey, you can always just like ret retcon that and be like, hey, this yeah. is our 100th game exactly. anniversary. Hey, this is 104. Hey, you shut up and sit down. Hey, we this is our you. number 100. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, my roommate in college had four birthdays one year because he just really liked throwing parties. And so he just kept changing his birthday on Facebook. And as far as anybody knew, that was the real date. And that's um, a good move. I'm telling you. And so if you want some right. some uh somebody to inflate your ego a little bit, just have your birthday exactly. pop up a few times. Exactly. One thing that would be cool in your shop though is if you had like a, a, a number, like the whole, you know, this many days since an accident kind of chart, but you'd have like this many button shy games, you know, in every you know, every month, basically, you, you just erase yeah. it and write a new one as they come. One out. thing I wanted to do there was like a like a little like actual like nobody does this, and there's no physical relics of board games out there. Inspired by one time I went to Gen Con and they had the original Dungeon Dragons contract there, the original like um, Cosmic Encounter like prototype, and I was like, it was like the it was the Gen Con museum, and I was like, we have some little artifacts of like button shy over time that would be cool to just like start getting on the walls or getting in a glass case. Like I have some like physical prototypes people sent in some, like I made some of the Sprawlopolis expansions and I have like the cards that I like hand drew and things like that. Um, I just think that's kind of a cool thing that would, that would fit in the vibe here. And it's not anywhere. 
nobody keeps any, you know, everything's digital and whatever. So I would love to see some physical board game relics to kind of pass. It makes a lot of sense. Cause like a lot of businesses will, will frame their first dollar and oh, yeah, hang exactly. out on the wall. You know, so this makes perfect sense. And, you know, honestly, most businesses can't really do this. Like if I start a restaurant, I'm not going to frame my first hamburger and put it somewhere. You know, but uh, with with your business being what it is, you could actually do this and having pictures, you know, and especially if it's from like, you know, 10 years ago. Or I remember like you started out literally selling buttons. And so if you had like, you know, the timeline and you've got like you could even like do it up, make them black and white, like, oh, it's forever ago, you know, whatever. But um, and just again, it draws people in to your story as a company, which creates super fans that creates raving fans because they feel part of something bigger than themselves. They feel part of something special. They get to feel part of something that other people aren't part of yet. You know, again, yeah. I get that cool, you know, Oh, I know about this before anybody yeah, else I was there the back then. Yeah. So that's a cool way to do it. All right. So over a hundred games at this point, I mean, I, I honestly, I keep thinking they're going to run out of ideas. Like there's only so many mechanisms, only so many ways you can do 18 cards, but every month you put out another game on Kickstarter or out into the world. And I'm like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could do that too. Oh, yep, you could do that too. And so, tell me, tell me your thoughts. Like, did you did you envision hundred plus games? Like, did you have it in your mind? Oh, this could go on forever, or has it just been a, an amazing discovery as more designers come in with new ideas? I um, so we have a little trick to it is that we do these 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 challenges. So now it's like we want you know we want a game that's you know co op. We don't have enough co ops. Let's do a eighteen card challenge, but the but the game must be co op. And then we get like a hundred submissions or whatever. Uh, and then we'll go through them and we might publish like three or four of them because they're vastly different. But it's it's one is it's our trick to um, getting the best games. When you get a submission and you have nothing to compare it to, it might seem great. But when you get a submission, you have a hundred to compare it to. You can really get the best of the best out of there. So um, one, it's our trick to um, getting the best games. But it's also our trick to kind of like like um feeding our uh like guiding what we want you know guiding what we want for the next games like we want some co-ops or or we want some dinosaur games or whatever our you know other challenges are so we do that but at the same time i am shocked that these <laughs> that, that that there's some like i thought for sure at some point they're all going to start being clones of each other and there are a lot like we launch a contest and now i have to put but do not make it you know, a Sprawlopolis clone. Do not make it a tile laying, blah, blah, blah. Uh, don't make it a uh, Brave Rats clone. Like there's all these ones that like I kind of now preface every contest with because if we don't, we'll see a lot of that same stuff. So yes, there's still a ton of people out there surprising me and how they do things different. And yes, there's a lot that's samey, but we get enough that we can wade through it and we try to guide around it. But yeah, I'm, I'm impressed all the time. I just, you know, we just got a couple submissions the other day and I'm just like, how, how does this keep happening? And we even I mean, considered like, do we need to do like, we, we called it wallet plus, like it's the wallet, but you provide your own die. And now we have one die. Can that make a hundred more games? And we keep not needing it, which is really what's shocking me. It's like, we've got that in our back pocket and year by year, I just, it's been in my back pocket for like five years and we haven't needed it, which is really surprising. Oh, it's so cool, man. Because at, at this point, you've got so many different mechanisms. You've got story-based games. You've got uh, solo games. You've got co-op. You've got two-player. You've got multiplayer. You've got spatial, like dexterity kind of games. You have a legacy game, if I remember correctly. Like, you've got so many different ways to do this. And so give me your thoughts. Give me kind of like the high level. If I'm a designer, I'm wanting to design one of these games. I don't want it to be just another three-by-two grid. That's our number one top. submission. It's uh, every right? one of them. Yep. And so... <laughs> Tell me if like what's your advice? What's your best advice for me as a designer, new designer or not, as far as like coming up with a new way to do one of these, you know, micro 18 card games? So ultimately you have to get my attention, which is um like it's not the most fair tip, but it's a tip. And like we get all these submission videos, and like in the first 10 seconds, I can tell whether it's a pass or not. Now that's not always right. But usually in the first screenshot, I can see it's a three by three grid. We've seen that a million times. There's only so much you can do with it. Um, most of those games are just flipping and swapping and recreating the grid. And then at the end, you score. So there's a lot of things that give it away, like in those first couple seconds. So a great intro, just getting right to the point in your video is, is really helpful. But for um, the reality of it is with 18 cards, we want table presence because 
it's hard to sell cards in hand um, as when you have nothing else, right? Our box is small. There's no box. There's no nothing else. If the only pictures we can have are the cards, the back of cards in people's hands, like it's unsellable. So um, it's not entirely unsellable. We've done it before, but it's a very hard sell compared to other games that have a lot of really cool looking components and this big spread. So table presence is like everything. So it doesn't have to be all tile laying and all map and everything, but having a couple different types of cards that do different things is just, it's so much when it comes to time to actually sell these games. So that's a big suggestion is, you know, kind of step back and try to simulate some components with your cards in any way that you can. Um, other than that, um, I would say keeping it simple. We get a lot of games where the rules are like 10 Google pages, you know, Google sheet, pa Google pages long, Google doc pages long. And it's just not going to fit in, in the end. It's not going to fit in the wallet and the game might be amazing, but really our best selling games and the ones that have lasted the longest have not been the simplest, but they've just had that really sweet spot of, you know, rules length and decision, you know, the quality of decisions. So trying to not be too simple is a lot. Uh, I think that's, that's not as common as trying to um, not be super complex. Like it's easy for these to go really complex with the rules and just go all out there trying to make a huge game in a small package. And I don't think the bigger the game, the better. I think there's a really good, like casual to medium weight that we're seeing um, the best results out of and being wowed by. I think the games that I'm most wowed by are not the ones that are like, hey, I jammed 700 things on each card. It's the ones where it's just like, this is the really great decisions that you make in the game. And there's like four steps to your turn and then we score and it's amazing. So it's a, that's a hard spot to design for, but it's, it's definitely a goal. Closer you can get to that. I think the better. Yeah. A lot of my favorite games really come down to on a turn. I have two or three choices and that's yeah, it. Exactly. You know, and they're good choices and all choices are viable. The game's yep. not playing itself. It's not like, Oh, this is the obvious only like, no, it's legit. But at the same time, it's not like, hundred different things going on. So I think that's something to think about just in general. But another thing is, so this is something I talk a lot about in, in my, my book, Find the Fun, is it's not about just making something fun. Because a lot of what you're talking about is creating a game that's a product. What does it look like on the table? What does it look like in Instagram photos or at yes, a convention when huge. somebody's walking by the, the booth? They're like, ooh, and they now they're over there. Now they're learning about it. Oh, it's only 12 bucks. Okay, that sounds good. And then they pay for that. Or as a product thinking through, okay, if somebody buys an 18 card game, they're probably not thinking this is going to take me an hour and a half to learn. It's going to take me two hours to play like that. That's a disconnect. Like that product doesn't line up with the kind of what they have in their head. And so don't do that. Not, not that you can't. And I think, you know, as, as your company has grown, I think you've gotten to a place where you've kind of earned the right to be different, where I think you could do a twilight Imperium 18 car game. And people are like, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me, but in general, you, you mentioned our, our legacy game, that one, um, and Battlecrest, which is our like miniatures battle game with cards. Both of those have double the rules that we normally do. We stick two rule books in there, and it's not what we normally do. And it's a little bit of a shock to the system, to the people who are used to what we normally do. But both of those games are very good and work very well. It's just something we can only kind of dabble in. Um, and will when we get really great submissions, but I'd say 11 out of our 12 games every year can't be that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, 11. So you're doing a game a month still. Is that still kind of the general we want to do? We're doing a game more? a month with a few extras like snuck in, like Black Friday, we'll have a couple releases. Um, and uh, we're doing like six role playing games a year, which are kind of like on the side. It's kind of like on the down low. But yeah, so it's at least 12 a year, but with the role-playing games and the extras, probably like 20. Yeah, okay. Which is still a lot. I mean, <laughs> it's too much. a lot of games. Yeah, I understand that. Now, let's switch a little bit. We can come back to design and kind of bounce back and forth. I want to understand a little more about the business side of things, though. That's a lot of campaigns. That's a lot of games to fulfill and manufacture and all that kind of thing without a lot of margin. And so basically, you know, if you, these games retail 10 to $12, something like that, and you've got, the, you've got a really cool Patreon that, gives people discounts and things. I think that I want to talk about that in just a minute as it's, its own question, but tell me like, basically do you just make up for the low margin with volume? You're just like, okay, let's just get a whole bunch of stuff out there and then we'll kind of make up the difference. Well, 
Not really. The, 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 the whole reason for the constant releases is I think that I just work best with a, with a schedule, right? So if we know we have to have a game each month, we have no excuse to miss one. Like, and, and if we throw a Patreon out there where we're guaranteeing a game each month, we have no, we can't miss one. So I work really well with a schedule. If any product, like if I'm coming up with a new product, just like the wallet games, I want that product to repeat and I want it to never change. Like, I don't want to have to come up with new packaging for a new thing each time we come up with a new game. Like we've already got that out of our system. We know the packaging. We can cut right to the the product itself and the design of, of that game. So it's really shortcutting a lot of things and codifying a lot of things. Where we make up on the margins is selling direct to consumer. I mean, if you're selling to a distributor, you know, you're selling for whatever, like 33% of, of even, it might even less if you're selling to like a consolidator, uh, 33% of retail who sells it to the store for 50% of retail. When we sell direct to consumer, we're selling it for retail. Um, so we cut out all those people. So it allows us to spend a little extra on, um, on hand assembly because it would definitely be cheaper to get these made in China, but we have our own little touch on all of them, which is just special to me as, as a business owner, um, just having our hands in everything and, and doing it here and employing people that I know to do that. Um, so that helps our margins a lot because while it costs a little more, we can make a lot more on each sale by just selling it direct to the consumer. Uh, by the, by doing things over and over each month, it does give you good expectations. You know what you're going to, you don't know what you're going to make each month. It's, you know, we'll kickstart some, we'll directly release others just because certain games are great for Kickstarter, certain games aren't. Uh, we'll sneak some out through Patreon. We'll pop some up on Black Friday, but we do know that we're going to have at least so many sales a month and we can base a lot of business decisions on that and how many people I can employ and, and things like that. So the repetition is great, but I think even better is direct sales, which I think work as a result of the repetition because people are coming to our website for any one of those hundred games and then finding the others. I heard a guy, a business minded kind of guy uh, recently, and he said, volume negates luck. You know, if you're worried about being successful, well, just do the thing over and over and over again. If you're trying to be a YouTuber, we'll put out a thousand videos. Like one of those is probably going to hit. And then yeah. like, you know, I most tell of your everyone, sales are going to come from one thing. And so my, the, my thing is there's, I say there's nothing better than a back catalog. Once you have that back catalog of games, that's where everybody's coming for all the different stuff. And you've, you've, you've got so much more to offer. Like if you go to a convention and you have one game for sale and people look at it and they don't like the look at that at the game, they just walk past your booth. But if you've got the catalog of a bunch of them, it gives those extra points where people can can catch you. And catching you is, is definitely the hardest part. Like my kids are really into like art and like making comics and they're like 12 and 13 and 15. And I tell them like, if you start now, by the time you're 18, you're going to have the biggest back catalog that's out there. Like release something every week, release something every day if this is what you want to do. Because by the time you're ready to get a job in it, You've done all that hard work and you have that catalog, which is, I think, is the strongest point of any creative person is is what they've done previously. Another thing I've learned is the best writers, we'll say, of all time aren't great writers. They're great rewriters. They're really good at going back and fixing what they already made, but you have to make it first. And so I feel like a lot of times people wait so long trying to make it perfect, trying to understand, trying to learn this. And that's like... Just do. You're going to learn more through doing than through listening to this podcast, than through reading books, than through anything else. You're going to learn more through doing and just do it over and over again. Now, be smart about it. Don't go out there and try to run a Kickstarter campaign that's going to cost a hundred grand to get, you know, realized. But, and that's another thing we can talk about with 18 card games. Like it's such a, a safe is not the right word, but it's like, it's such a good entry point for people to get into design and into publishing. I've told several people that like want to get into publishing. And I was like, okay, do something small, do something, 18 cards, 27 cards, 36, whatever. That way you can deliver it. You don't need a ton of art. You don't need a ton of everything. Shipping is going to be relatively inexpensive. So tell me about that. Just what you've learned from that angle coming at it. You know, you're not trying to make a hundred dollar miniatures game. Like you're staying in this zone of, of doing this. Tell me about what you've learned and the value you've gotten from doing it over and over again. So we have a really specific process in how we do it. And it's basically just maximize the card order. 
So get the most we can out of it. So if you order a deck of 54 cards, you're getting three 18 card games out of there, plus a couple like promos or a little small expansion or whatever. So ordering a deck of 54 cards is one price, but you up that to 108 cards and it's not double the price, right? It's just, it's incrementally larger, but not that much more than it's, it's way cheaper than if you ordered two sets of 54 cards. So what we do is we'll order the biggest decks we can and throw as many games in there as possible and expansions. And it really has made things like affordable for someone like us, especially when we're doing monthly releases, you know, fulfilling a Kickstarter that has, you know, the game plus a reprint of another game plus a couple expansions. So we make these big decks and then we like split them out into each game. So, you know, unwrap the deck, split each game up and then, uh, pile those games on top of each other. So you get a whole bunch of the same game, bag it up, put it away until we're ready to make the wallets. But that's the kind of like the volume discount that we've like fudged because usually you just order a game and try to order a whole bunch of them. And the more of it you order, the cheaper, but we're just bundling them all together and ordering as much as we can in these single decks. And it saved us a lot of money. It saved us a lot of time as well. Um, But I can tell you that the pre-press stinks you're like proofing eight games at once and 12 expansions and it's like hitting that order button is hinging on all eight and all 12 of those it is very stressful and uh it that's the i think the easiest way to make a mistake is you're just you're looking at too many things at once so while it's great for business end it's it's so hard for whatever the proofing end of it yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so you said you assemble the games there in New Jersey. Tell me about the manufacturing. Are you going China? Are you going U.S.? What are you doing there? So we have a little bit of both. Um, cards come from U.S. or China, just depending on the game. Um, some games we originated in either one of those, and we keep those games in whichever one they originated. Um, China is faster, surprisingly, um, but U.S. Uh, has some really good pricing on, you know, if you're going really big. We can, we can get some good prices in U.S. Uh, our car, that's for cards. Rules come from U.S. Wallets come from U.S. The rules come here and like the, they're a half inch too big. Like they, they can't cut them as small as we need them. So we have like a cutter that cuts like 400 sheets at a time that will run all of our rules through, cut them all to size. And then, like I said, we split the decks up, bag them up. And then when it's time to assemble them, we grab the bags, grab the rules, grab the wallets and just sit there. We've got a couple guys here that do it all day. <laughs> there's like, there's two full-time uh, wallet assemblers here. Wow. Uh, wallets, expansions, whatever, retail stuff. Do the wallets do the wallets come already screen printed? Yeah, the wallets are screen printed. I don't want to get into screen printing because it's just messy. Um, we might be able to save some money if we got like a pad printer or whatever, but um, that's a that's paint. That's a that's a mess. Um, and it's a whole nother business in a lot it of It is, you know, we'd have to, in order to make any, make it worthwhile to buy the equipment, we'd have to be doing that for others as well. Yeah. Um, but and I do. you got a store, you can sell shirts. Exactly. <laughs> and we are selling shirts and we're paying somebody to print them. But um, I do look at that. Like, how can we, you know, these rules have to be folded. It costs so much money to fold them. Can we just, you know, buy a folder? Um, but could you do is, digital? Have you thought about doing like a, just a QR code and you scan it on your phone? Yes. There's a rule book. I I am such, I push for that so much and the fans reject it. They hate it. Every time I've asked that, everyone like, they act like, they act like I've insulted their child. Like they act like I've done something so heinous that I I would suggest. such strong feelings about it. We tested it once with a game that was um, called Personal Space. It was a a Patreon exclusive game that was played partially online, partially solo with, with bits and partially roll and write printing stuff. But anyway, the rules were only online because... It was like Animal Crossing, the board game. The rules were changing every day. So it's like we introduced this this. new thing and the rules were changing. So they had to be online. But I found some cool things you could do with online rules, which was like you can hide everything but the one thing you need to focus on. You can link from the one thing you're on to another thing that you need to like, like from section to section is like an instant link and hide everything else. So it was this really like great way to learn rules where you were focused on exactly what you needed to learn and nothing else. And I would love to dive deeper into that, but our fans have like revolted against it. So we've dabbled in it with some of our like board game month club exclusive stuff, but we didn't really go all in and like make these digital rules, optimizing the things you can do digitally that you can't do with paper. 
And uh, I would love to do that one day. It would have to be a whole new company that yeah. people can just hate if they hate it. And you just um, do it from the beginning and, hey, yeah, this is exactly. what you're getting. You know I that really think there are some strengths there that we we don't get to say. Video is just right there. You know, everything's just in one spot. But I do think showing what you need to show and hiding everything else is a is a great way to to just, just focus on it and not get wrapped up in what can be a, a whole book of messy rules. Yeah. Just the ability to use a dynamic QR code, which means you can change where it links to easily so that you could put an updated rule book. Oh, shoot. We totally screwed up that rule. Oh, man, we totally left out something important. No worries. Change the URL where the QR, QR code goes. Problem solved. You know, this is a video game issue that like they figured out how to do. Like, just patch it. Ah, just patch it. Fix it later. And even and like not even just like we forgot this. It's like, oh, here's a cool development of a new mode or, so, you know, a new a new thing that's popped up. And it's right there with everything else you did. I love it. And I, I you know, but I just I don't have the fight in me right now. <laughs> that's where I'm at. I have too many other battles right now, but that's a fight that uh, one day it's coming. Yeah, because like I've I've seen conversations in the BGDO Facebook group where people say, cause like, this is not, we're not coming up with this idea. Like lots of people have thought of this mainly because of like cost. They're thinking, Oh, the rule book is going to cost me a dollar or $2, whatever to add to the game. I can take that out and save you the consumer. I'll save you money. This helps you helps me. There's you know, everybody wins. And people are like, I'll pay $10 more just to have the physical <laughs> rule book. Like they don't care. I don't care. I'm not here for the money. I'm not here for I, a to deal. Me, reading rules is the absolute worst part of playing board games. Yes, so 100%. like anything to make that better for especially new gamers. Um, I, anything that can make it better is I'm always looking for what can make it better. I always cite my favorite rules of all time are Crossmaster Arena, where the first five pages of the rule book, you are playing on the rule book. It has the cards. Instead of playing with the cards, they're printed on the rule book, but they but half of the card is blacked out. And they're like, you'll learn about that on the next page. And it's the best learning experience ever. It's like a video game tutorial where they're holding your hand for five pages of, of actual game sessions that are just Here's a little, here's a little more, here's a little more. And by the fifth page, you've learned how to play it by playing it and you don't feel like you read any rules. Yeah, and that's, that's something I was super conscious of with Robomon and I'm doing something very, very similar, right? So it, it helps that the game is in a book. Like yeah, just I mean, that, that flows, does help. <laughs> right, and so in, 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 in the packaging, you put the book on top and it's got like a sheet of paper that's like, start here. And it runs you through and it says, open the book. And then the book teaches you the game, teaches you mechanisms, teaches you different things. And like the opening map, like it's a tutorial and everywhere you go, it says, Hey, this is how this works. You're going to see this throughout the game. Here's how it works here. Now you understand if you need to go back and learn it again, there's a rule reference book and you can, you know, it's easy to find stuff. Cause I, again, rules, learning rules, teaching is the worst part. So if we can just ease people in and then at least they're playing, like they're still learning rules. It still sucks, but at least they're playing the game and going, Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Cause what happens to me is I read a rule book and then I start playing and I'm like, wait, what is what was that thing that was on page 12? I think just find it. And then it. you got to go read it again. And, and even <laughs> right. you have to figure out where it was. Like yep. with digital rules, you just type it in. It's there. Exactly. So, so on the complete end of that spectrum, I love product development. I was at Gen Con this weekend, this past weekend, and I saw for the first time that there's a Scythe hardcover rule book that is like, it looks like a Dungeons and Dragons book and it's the hardcover rule book. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> like, I was like, that's the complete other end where like you you cherish rules and, you know, and, and also you're standing by these rules if you're printing in this like expensive hardcover rule book. It is locked at that point. Um, I did I did like seeing that and uh, and wheels started turning. I'm like, oh, well, ours are like one page, but. <laughs> so let's, let's keep talking about rules, but then for, you know, button shy style games, 18 card games. Like I run into situations where I'm designing a game and I just can't get the rule to fit in a paragraph. Like it's just going to take too long to explain. It gets kind of nebulous. And it's like, what is, what are we doing here? And it's a cool idea. It's a cool concept. I just have to cut because I can't explain it. I think that's probably even more of the case if you have a tiny little rule book where you don't want page after page after page for one concept. So what's your advice there as far as consolidating brevity, you know, figuring out how to get to the core of what a rule is while at the same time explaining it well? So... I always like to say recently that starting with the smaller document is, is the like, it's, it's like impossible if you start with a big doc 
So see, the smaller you start, the, the more successful it can be. And it's, when page set up, I need the page to be set up in this small area to like, I know exactly yeah, what kind of real like, estate I have. I think like if it's, if it's three pages of just walls of text, we're like hitting our limit. But um, beyond that, um, just get to the point. Like there's a lot of, and, and like, I don't expect designers to do it because like we have our rules editor who's going to go through it and, and get rid of it. And I'll even look at a paragraph and say, this paragraph is this long. I can make it a sentence just by getting rid of everything that you repeated, everything that's just like long winded. Um, almost if you just kind of like write your rules in bullet points, you'll get rid of like anything that you kind of, so someone will say on your turn, doing the follow, do the following at the start of your turn, do this. Once you've done that, do this. And I'm like, you can get rid of all those at the start of the turn, all the, at, once you've done that, because just, they're just in line. You don't, you never have to kind of set up the next thing by summarizing the last. So that's one of those things where I'll just go through and just delete all of that and whittle things down pretty quickly. But um, other than that, it gets hard. Visuals get hard. There's not a lot of room for visuals. So um, it usually comes on our end, but thinking of like the core, like three or four pictures that we can squeeze into there. Um, and, uh, we have a pretty tight format. Like we don't have a, a lot of, you know, every game starts out with a, um, what, what would they call it? Um, the, the, like what you're trying to do, the objective. And we never put the objective in our rules. It's like, there's no room for it. You'll figure it out by reading the next few paragraphs. And well, a lot of times the objective is to win. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or that's like where a publisher will put like, yeah, or they'll put like some thematic stuff in there. You're a group of soldiers and your objective is to take the hill from the evil Nazi. It's like, yeah, it, let's just we give a little <laughs> brief, like two sentence, like here's the theme. It's in italics. And then we get right into components, setup and gameplay. And there's never an objective there. And seriously, I would love to be able to have it in there because people look for it. But it's it's like four panels later when you've read the whole thing and you see how the game ends and how you win. So that was the first thing we had to cut. And and it, it does help a lot. But yeah, cutting all those little extra words, extra summary examples that are unneeded unnecessary um but and then just hand it to our rules editor who's who's pretty good at that but um sometimes it takes like three or four of us just chipping words chipping words away and really hoping for the best let's let's keep traveling down that road just a little bit let's talk about the marketing side of things because again when you have a game this is something i learned when i when i did the, the campaign for robomon that was the first time i've ever done a game that was kind of expensive right? It's like a 70 plus dollar game. Like most of my games are 20 bucks. Like it's a small box. It's a deck of cards, maybe some dice components. It's easy. But when it comes to marketing, okay, I don't have a lot of margin. Even at a 20, $25 price point, there's still not a ton of margin to go out there and do a ton of Facebook ads or a ton of, you know, extra stuff. But all of a sudden selling $80 games, like, okay, well one sale kind of gives me a little chunk of money that I can now put into some ads and things like that. But when you're selling $10 games, there's just not a lot a margin. And so one thing I think you've done a phenomenal job with is almost becoming the the word people use. For for example, people don't say tissue, they say Kleenex. People don't say you know, water bottle, they say thermos. Uh, they they say band-aid, right? They don't say bandage, they say band give me a band-aid. Well that's that's a brand. That's not what the thing is called, right? And so I feel like with these 18 card like wallet games, people will say it's a it's a button shy game. Even if it's not like a button, like even <laughs> if you didn't make it. Like that's yeah. what the, you know, the terminology that they will use. So you've done a phenomenal job kind of getting into people's minds as far as like, this is what this is. So I think that's one way to do it. Just kind of own the market from a terminology standpoint, but it took a long time to get there. So tell me kind of other thoughts, other things you've learned with marketing. Do you use Facebook ads? Do you use the things that other companies do that you, you just kind of take a bigger hit on because of the margin or anyway, ultimately tell me about your marketing. So I think the first thing is what we talked about before, which was the releases every month. I think that constant stream of release has like, it sets expectations. People know it's coming um, and might look out for it. So I think that's also a marketing thing in just having a distinct schedule and just constant repetition. So there's no time to get forget about it because by the next month, a new game is coming out. Um, and that was, that was a strong thought. Um, otherwise, we don't do a lot of advertising. We do a working geek ad for every Kickstarter campaign, and we do maybe four or five Kickstarter campaigns a year. Uh, aside, and you have from, multiple games in the campaign, right? So we have, so we've we've reduced it. We did before. We did used to do like here's three games, but then we realized if those three games weren't the same designer or the same series, they would kind of suffer, and individual was doing better. So. 
we've kind of done series like we do the Scott Alms uh, Simply Solo series. We'll bring a game back and then we'll we'll reprint the others and we'll do some expansions for them. So there's a little bit of that in there. And then we just did one for um, Stephen Aramini did two solo games. Same designer, two solos. We wrapped it all into one campaign um, because it fit. But generally, we're trying to just make it one game or one series uh, that's all connected. So we'll do it. We'll do an ad for that and uh, run that for whatever, two weeks during the campaign. The rest of it is like, it's all been word of mouth. Like we'll do, we have a, we have a solid mailing list from doing 50 Kickstarter campaigns and asking for email addresses at the end of each. We have a pretty large mailing list. So we'll do an email once a month when we launch a new campaign and something else is going on, but it's like discord and spending all day just talking to fans. It's being, being there in it with them and, and just trying to be different than every other company that's out there. Like, I don't know many companies where like, you know, the owner's name and their kids' names and their pets' names and like what they did last night and all that. So I really try to just make it feel like we're all together on it. So because of that, I think the word of mouth thing happens a lot. And Reddit, Reddit's one where it's just like, I go on Reddit every time someone's talking about button shy, I just jump in the conversation. So it's sort of marketing. It's sort of just doing what I do anyway. Um, some people they'll be like, um, I'm a mother. I just had a baby. I'm in the hospital. I like solo games. Give me, a, a, you know, tips. And I'll be like, send me your address. I will send you some button shy. Um, so like I have like a budget of games I can give away on people on Reddit that just sound like they needed good solo or they're like, I just, I never heard of button shy, whatever, which I play. And I'll be like, let me just send you something. So I try to just keep it at that. Keep it very realistic, very person to person. Um, I don't click on ads. So I don't think like, I, you know, I don't like, I mean, I, I see them and I know that there's value in just, just seeing our name at the top of board game geek. But, um, yeah, we don't do much. I have, since we opened this store here, we got a lot of people coming in saying, you know, do you want to put an ad in the paper? And like the price of it is just outrageous i don't know that anybody reading that paper is playing board games like i have no idea so i just try to stick with what we know and just be good to our fans and connect with them and hope that it pays off in the end it's all been very grassroots very diy and just that's what's what's in my range and in my like style yeah i think you would be way better off taking let's say that newspaper adds 500 bucks okay uh i think you'd be way better off getting $500 worth of more games and giving those away for free. Right. As because yeah. like you said, like you've got the catalog, nobody buys one button shy game. Yeah. That's like true. they're, they're inexpensive and there's probably something you like. If you like one, Scott Alms is a great example. If you like one Scott Alms game, you're going to probably like more of his games. Right. And he's got several in, in your series. Right. And so I think marketing, again, this is a feature, not a bug of these wallet games. The, the cost to manufacture and the cost to ship, and I want to talk about shipping in just a second, is so inexpensive that you're not taking a big hit to send those out to people and you get to look like a freaking hero, dude. Like when someone's like, I'm having a bad day, you're like, hey, give me your address, I got a game for you. And, you know, I, I like to think that you would do the same thing with a $100 game, but it's a little more challenging. There's a little more to it. There's a little more, because you got employees, you got stuff to think about. You're like, ah, we can't just be giving away all this stuff. But when it's a game that costs you, I don't know, a dollar and then another however much to ship, it's a little easier to do and it makes people feel good. And I think another thing you do really well, there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a pretty short time between Kickstarter and delivery, right? And so even if the game comes in and the person's like, ah, it's not for me, it wasn't very fun. Well, one, it didn't cost them an arm and a leg so that they don't feel like they wasted much money. And two, there wasn't like two years of waiting and hype and all this like hope and then they get the game and then it's like, uh, like you don't, you don't do that either. And so I think there's nothing for people to think about, even if you're doing big games. Is and this is something I run into Robomine. Like when you're designing a massive game and it's going to take forever, it's hard to keep people going and keep people interested and excited about it. And at the same time, it's also dangerous because you don't want to build up the hype so much that your game can't possibly de deliver on it. It could be the greatest game of all time, but if you've overhyped it, then good luck to you. So yeah, we almost have like the the anti hype thing going right now where. So our, our turnaround is like three to five months on Kickstarter. Three months, if if we're if everything's going right, could be even less, like two, five if like we're just 
at that time of year where things are just hitting on all ends and it's 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 hard um but like we do very few kickstarter updates because like i just like personally i'm just like i don't want another update that says it's on the boat here's a picture of the boat i'm like i don't care about any of that stuff and i i know some people do and i'm just like but i don't care so our updates are campaign ended here's how you get in touch with us and like we're shipping you know in between those like sometimes there's a monthly one where it's like, all right, it's still coming. But I just, I never want that update of like, things are still moving. And I'm just like, why did you tell me? Like, I don't care. And and like, so people, some people really expect those. And I'm like, just come to Discord and we will talk all day long and you'll hear every story you want. But just like those like formal, like, hey, nothing's happening, but it's all still happening. It's just like, I can't do it. And it's to me that like drags everything down. That's the opposite of hype for me is like the game's on a boat. And I know some people are like, all right, that means it's coming. And I'd rather just say it's here. It came and we're shipping it. So I have just like, just personal, just like, I just feel like some of those things you do on Kickstarter, like stretch goals and things like that. Some of those things are expected and we just have just like avoided doing all of it. And uh, I feel like we feel better, <laughs> you know, as a company without doing those kind of things and just putting our effort to like, let's just talk one-on-one at Discord. Just come there and, you know, we'll tell you where we are. And we'll talk about everything else too. Yeah, that's a cool way to do it. And also I think doing the games like you do them, you can't have a bunch of stretch goals. Like that's not how this works, folks. Like yeah. this is a wallet game. It's got to <laughs> fit in the wallet. I can't add 22 cards. It's not going to fit. A couple years so- ago, we said you get six extra cards and it's given to you from the start. And we're not going to play any games. We're not going to delay our fulfillment. We need to keep these things moving. And it's already designed. And a lot of times those things are all fake anyway and just stretched out to to bring in more people. And let's just be honest and go from the start yeah exactly so much of kickstarter is smoke and mirrors yeah and it's, it works it works, or, yeah. it works for some of them but i just it works for me i i'm the sucker for that you know but you know it's a lot less stressful if we if we cut it all out from a business side right all right let's switch over let's talk about shipping for a second do you ship everything from there in jersey so almost everything we have a employee in the uk and we ship to her and she ships from the UK to other uh, to all of our UK orders. That way they can get them for cheap shipping. And, and uh, if we had employees in other areas, we'd do the same thing, but we just have one employee there. So worldwide shipping outside of UK is all done from here. Um, I have one employee, my brother-in-law, he mails four days a week, full-time or about full-time. And uh, yeah, so he packs it up and ships it out. And We've got it pretty down. It's it's a pretty good system. We've got like everything fits into one tiny envelope. Um, and it's flat. So it goes to the machine and you're saving money. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's um, it works out. And, and we do our like Patreon shipment out of here as well, which is usually a, a little funkier because we've got all these different tiers and everybody's getting something different. But um, yeah, shipping every day out of here. Uh, it's cool because like, we can ship stuff same day as they order. Like if, if he's here Monday through Thursday, if you're ordering Monday through Thursday, likely your order's going out that day if you don't have like a pre-order or anything. And that's awesome. There's people just like, I just ordered and I just got my shipping notification. Um, so it's really cool to be able to do that. And, Which again uh, makes raving fans. That yeah. makes people go, this company's awesome. So yeah. Yeah, that's like I don't want to say like people have asked him to draw pictures and he's done it, but <laughs> I said it. So, uh, but it's just, it's that personal touch. And a lot of the personal touch isn't seen, but I feel like I couldn't do it any other way. Like if you order from us and you get it in the mail, you don't know that uh, me, my brother-in-law, my brother, the, the couple of people that work here, all my Michelle in UK have like personally handled that. But to me, that just means so much to me. It cuts out all the middlemen and it, um, it, it, there's like a responsibility with it that drives me. Like it, it's just, you know, it's on you if it's wrong. Like to me, there's, there's, there's something about that, that, that feels very good. And if you don't see it, you don't see it. And the ones who do see it, it feels it's, it's great. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier, it also allows you to do these like personal touches. Like if you want to drop something else into the, the package, you can write a little hand, you know, handwritten note. Hey Bob, really appreciate your order. I get messages like I'm going on vacation this week is there any way I can get the games, you know, by Friday? And I'm like, order now, message me, and I'll go stick it in the mail. <laughs> like, I'll just, I'll just go do it. You know, I, I want to make sure you have them for your, for your vacation as well. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. All right. So anything else from just doing this for a long time, things that you've learned, things that you wish you had known 
starting out, maybe things that you would have done differently then, you know, somebody they're listening to this, they're like, I could do that. I could come up with some kind of, you know, I could do three of these a year or something like that and kind of build up a company and and kind of start small. What would you tell them so they don't have to fall into the same traps or pitfalls that that you did? So I think one of the things, if you want a library that's like ours, like vast library, hundred games, the thing that I started out was like, I was like, I want to be like, like fantasy flight, where if I'm a fan of one game, I'm a fan of every game. And then I realized like trying to sell a game to someone every month, we need the variety where people don't feel like they need all of them. It's not that much money, but it's a lot to keep up with. And a lot of, um, it's a lot even to play. Like you have that many games, it's a lot to play. So an early thing that we decided was we were going to make a whole variety of themes, a whole variety of, of, you know, player counts and, um, you know, levels of play casual to intermediate to whatever so it was an early decision to kind of go wide with with what this product line was going to be while all the games look the same and some people want to collect all of them just because they're you know board gamers (laughs) but like we really wanted to make sure we kind of hit all ends because i think it's just too much for one person to expect one customer to want all of it and while I love those companies where it's like everything they release is something that I want. I think it was a better move for us to widen that up and and go with a big variety. So, you know, games that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I know that there's a huge bunch of fans out there of um, I'm willing to kind of do those and games where the art style's very cartoony to where other games are, you know, very serious. I feel like they fit in our line, um, but they wouldn't, that wouldn't work in, in all publishers. So if you're going big with, you know, a release every month, I think having that variety is good because otherwise you could just get stuck with the same people. They're going to be super fans, but widening that group is, is, is hard. Yeah. Um, well, you're also going to get people that look at the next game that comes out and they're like, well, do I need this one? Like I've got the other ones. It's kind of the same. It's not that much different. Yeah. Eh, I'll pass. And I'm Versus- okay with that. Like, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's great because um, we want you to buy the games that you like. I don't want you to buy the games that you don't like, and we don't expect everybody to buy everything. So I do think that's a, that's a great thing to, to look at them and, and buy the ones you want. Um, and for us to be able to offer ones that maybe you don't, it's, it's an interest. It's like the opposite of what you want to do as a business. But I think that that I think all of that has helped in the long run. Um, other things like, I don't know. I mean, we've done really well with first time designers. Like I think a lot of people don't get the chance. A lot of first time designers don't get a chance in front of publishers because they don't know them. They didn't get, they didn't, they don't know the ways to get to them and all. And we've done contests and out of those contests, we've published so many first time designers, some that have gone on to do really great things. Uh, some that just made an amazing game and have never made a game since. But uh, I do think if you're, if you're not just self publishing and you're looking for other designers, the, the, the creativity is ripe in these first time designers. There is some, some amazing stuff going on that will get overlooked because they don't know how to get in touch with people. So, I mean, just looking at them and, and being open to them has been, has been huge for us. Like, I mean, Tussie Mussy was before Wingspan was announced. I just saw the game, said it's amazing. Don't look twice at like, you know, who's making them. Um, we have a lot of repeat designers where they'll come back and that's, that's always a great thing as well. But in these challenges, like, that's one. Uh, there's so many like Circle the Wagons led to Sprawlopolis, which led to everything for for those designers. Never knew who they were, you know, when we, we got that submission. So and didn't care. Like it does not matter. Um, so contests have enabled that. I love just getting submissions through contests. That's like I almost don't want to do it any other way going forward. But uh, yeah, the new designers are great. And if you have an outlet to new designers, I would definitely suggest using it. Yeah, and this is also an advantage you have because you're doing so many games a year that you don't have to put all your your hopes and dreams on your three releases. And one of these, at least one, hopefully all three have to hit for us to make our numbers for the year. But you're looking at it like, hey, we can we can afford to take a risk and we're not spending a ton of money on all it. So it makes sense. We absolutely can. And there's some games where I'm just like, I know this one isn't going to be the big hit, but I'm going to like put ourselves behind it because I know enough people are going to want it that we're going to we're going to get this one out there and we've done that a few times and i mean some of them that we've done have gone on to really good sales um 
like for example, Invino Morte is the silliest game of just wine and poison, and it's a whole head game that barely exists. It shouldn't even work. Um, but we were just like, we're going to do this because we had a blast playing it, and it, it sells so well at cons and things like that. And I believe that that was Chris Anderson's first published design. I think so. I mean, I just love that. I love getting people started in this industry. That's just like when you see them go on and make more and more games, it's just such a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. And then you also, again, get to benefit from the long tail, right? Because people played Wingspan. They're like, this is amazing. I want to see what else Elizabeth Hargrave has done. Hey, there you go. There's a button shot game for you. And so that, that works out too. Yeah, I remember, like, I didn't know what Wingspan was. And we signed Tussie Musty and we were getting everything together, getting the art together. And all of a sudden it was like, here's this new game Wingspan that's announced. And we were just like, what? <laughs> uh, and then like five months later, our game was on Kickstarter and obviously saw some wonderful, you know, turnover or effects from, from, from the success of Wingspan. Jason, this has been awesome. Any closing thoughts, anything maybe I didn't ask or didn't cover as far as these small games, whether it's design, publishing, any of that? Uh, no, not really. Just like, uh, as a designer, uh, starting small is super like starting with restrictions is is going to really push you in some big directions our first contest that we had after a few years was design a game 18 cards but all cards are all 18 cards are identical it's such a silly silly challenge how do you make a game with 18 identical cards and we had the most submissions we ever had and most of them were first-time designers that just saw that challenge and said i gotta try that you know so you know if you're designing games big can be daunting it can be consuming you can you know come up with a concept for an 18 card game and prototype it fairly quickly and just kind of just get past all of that initial stuff so i always suggest it for first-time designers and for publishing the fewer components the fewer things you can mess up so <laughs> i would stand by that as well yeah and the less art you need the cheaper oh, yeah. manufacturer okay. like there's so many our, our budget can be like 300 bucks sometimes yeah. and then it's just like how is that even possible Right. Um, not always, but uh, I, no other, no big games are doing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and just to reiterate your point, this is such a great place for new designers to get into the hobby. I know we all, for the most part, get into this thing because we played a really cool, massive, probably expensive game. And we're like, oh, I want to make one of those. And then, you know, three years later, you're nowhere near because you just don't have the design ability to yeah. bring that idea to life. But you could probably figure out how to bring an 18-card game or a 9-card game to life. And it's not going to be any good just to, in general because you're just starting out and you're, it's just the way creativity goes. But this is such a good way to learn and grow yeah. and develop as a designer and figure things out. Exactly. Awesome. Jason, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show. Thank you.